Section 6 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox. Jim Dudley's Flight that babbling hoosier bob browser has found me out and paid me a call boring me with his confounded stories even as a hungry parrot when crackers are in view or as a miller's hopper when water is high and the farmer's meal bags low he rattles right along with copious discourse what's that you say did you know jim dudley what him as the boys in gosport used to call carrot top jim well i'll be rattled if that ain't queer wasn't he the old firest shirk you ever did say perhaps you remember how sudden he left gosport just before the war oh that's so sure enough you went north some time afore that wow that chap was eternally getting in some scrape or another i do just think i've helped that jim out of more close corners then there are buildings in there's their town. You see em, and me was a great chums, and roomed at the same house on York Street. Jim was a court and a butcher's daughter that lived out near the cemetery for about a year before he left. Leastwise he was a totin' of her around considerable, taking her to picnic, circuses, horse races, and the like. I kind of had my doubts about him getting married, cause he was a pooty sod old patch, and sometimes I'd ask him when the nuptials were a comin' off. But he'd always shuffle out of it by saying when they did come, I'd get an invite, and kind of larf it off just that way. One night, pretty soon after I had gotten to bed, I heard someone thumping at my door, and before I had time to say anything, Jim Dudley was plumb across the room and standing by the bedside. Bob, says he, just that way, we've got to part again, and I've come to gin your paw a shake afore I leave. "'It's up now, Jim,' says I, pooty surprised and setting up maze and fast in bed to strike a light, "'cause I always liked Jim. Drat my picture if I didn't. You stuck to me like a hoss-leech when I was down with the yellow fever. I was peeled down so mighty thin I didn't make a shatter only after I'd been eating corn dodgers or something that wasn't transparent.' Soon as I got a light, I seed his face was tombstone white, except in some long red scratches onto it that made me think there had been a cat's a clawin' of him. I ain't time to gin particulars now, but water's gettin' too plaguey shallow for me in Gosport, says he, just that way, and I'm gwine to pull out for deeper soundings. I want to head off the night express, and I've only got fifteen minutes to do it, and must be a movin' and givin' my hand a rattlin' shake, he turned before I could say scat, he was going down the stairs like a bucket falling down a well. I thought he hadn't more than got in the middle of the flight, when I heard the door slam behind him. I lay awake there for hours thinking and wondering what on earth could have turned up to make Jim dust out of town so all fire sudden, being as how he was doing pretty well, peculiarly that is, for him. I kind of mistrusted something had gone wrong with him out at old Hurley's, the butcher's. So the next day, being kind of curious, I took a stroll out that way, to look around a little and see what was going on. I see the glazer a-fussin' round a winder, and old Hurley sittin' on the steps, 
looking mighty solemn at a hat, which I knowed was Jim's, that was a-hangin' on a bush in the garden. Some months after this the war was a-billin', and I ginned a company and went down to Cairo to go into camp. By Jingo, would you believe it? Almost the first man I ran again was Jim Dudley. He'd enlisted in the horse regiment up to St. Louis, and came down to camp for a few days before me. We were both mighty tickled to meet one another right thar, so we pinted for a place where we could have a straight-out chat. And while we were sitting thar, talking about old times, says I to him, Jim, now we're going down into this blamed muss, and the chances are pooty good for us to get chawed up down thar, and nothing more to be heard about us. Now, supposing you tell a fellow that made you pull up stakes and dust from Gosport so amazing fast last fall. Well, Bob, says he, seeing we've met again, I don't mind if I do lighten you a little in regard to my leaving so sudden. You remember I've been over to Franklin some time before I left, and just got back to Gosport that day. In the evening I started out to see Mag. I was a-hoping the old man wouldn't be to hum. He generally was away Saturday nights. Twas dark afore I got there. Leastwise the bats were flitting round the gables and apple trees, a-looking for that suppers. I gin the bell knob a jerk anyhow, and pretty soon old Hurley himself came to the door, with a candle in his hand. He was in his shirt sleeves, and I reckon he had just come home from work. Kind of gin a start as though he was surprised to see me. I gin a start too. I jumped back from the door pooty quick, for I thought I heard him grit his teeth a little, something like a sharp arter she'd been eating beans, but I wasn't certain. Come in, Mr. Dudley, says he, kind of low and coaxing like. I hope you've been enjoying good hell. I hope you come prepared to stop with us a while. Thanking him for his kind wishes, I followed him along, wondering what in time made him so amazing solicitous for my health all too onct, cause I knowed the old man hated me worse than a rat does pizen. He didn't stop in the parlor where some folks were sittin', but kept on into a small room, beckoned me in to foller, which I did, though I was beginning to feel pretty suspicious about the old feller's movements. Stay here a minute, Mr. Dudley, says he, arter I had sat down. Make yourself comfortable until I come back again. He continued, just that way, and then he stepped out. I tell you, I began to feel wonderful fidgety and kind of prickly down along the spine. And when I heard the old man coming back, and I heard his feet slapping down heavier and faster than when he went out, then I knowed there was trouble ahead. I could feel a distressing resentment just a bubbling through my veins and limbering up all my joints. Pretty soon the old man came in. A hold his left hand in front of him doubled up tight, as though for boxing, and keeping his right hand behind him, kind of careless-like, as though twas there by accident. I know twas not no natural position. I kept peering round, for I expected he had a cowhide and was calculating to gin me a sound tanner. But when he went out to shut the door behind him, I got a glimpse of the all-fire at his great butcher's cleaver you ever set eyes on a shining just as bright as could be. Jerusalem! If that bone splitter didn't make me begin to feel tarnation uneasy, then there's no use saying it. My heart flopped up so far into my throat, it actually seemed as though I could taste it. I've got very pressing business downtown, and I guess I better be a-moving, says I, rising up. 
Sit down, says he, easy as that, as though he wasn't disturbed any, though I seed he was awful pale. Don't be in a hurry, he went on, keeping his back flat against the door the whole time. You've been poking around here about long enough, said he, and I think at time you tended to business. I've sent for Father Quinn, he continued, calculating to have you join to the family right off, before you leave the house, and he gin the cleaver a sweeping flourish. But while he was a-doing it, he sort of took his eyes away from me, and before he could say scat, I just shut me eyes tight and made one determined lunge for the winder, head first, like a sheep through a clump of briars, and went a-crashing plumb out on all fours into the garden, taking the whole lower sash along with me. The old man gin one rat and shout like a wounded gorilla when he seen me go. I knowed he'd be arter me mighty quick, so I broke through the garden for the toll road. The blarsted old sash a hanging round my neck like a hog yoke, catching on everything as I ran. I hadn't more struck the road and begun to dust along it when I heard the old man coming, a snorting and a spattering down the turnpike behind me. I lowed he'd overhaul me if I kept right on, because I hadn't got the sash off yet, and the blamed thing was just ginning my necklace so flouncing aside pooty sudden. I flopped down behind a sassafras bush, and I hadn't more than got nothing when old Harley went a-rackin' and a-rearin' past, the bloodthirsty great meat-axe a-gleamin' in his hand. He reckoned I was still ahead, so he went a-flukin' down the road, clearin' that toll-bar at one bounce without so much as dusting it, and keeping right on to Gosport. Thunder! Didn't I tear off the ruins of that winter mighty fast, though? Then I climbed the fence and took across lots through Harem Nye's corn patch and down by Blake's orchard, coming into town by the lower road. I think more than likely old Harley kept a go and had plumbed to Gosport before he mistrusted that I dodged him. And I do just think if he had got hold of me, a villain as he was, he wouldn't have left a piece of me together large enough to bait a mink trap. Wasn't that an all-fired close dodge, though? I reckon you'll not see me in Gosport again. Least the way's not while old Hurley's a-livin'. I've no notion of getting married in no such haste as that. That's the bugle callin' to muster. Let's hurry up and go. End of Section 6 Read by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida